the total influence, economic, political, even spiritual, is felt in every city, every state house, every office of the federal government. We recognize the imperative need for this development, yet we must not fail to comprehend its grave implications. Our toil, resources, and livelihood are all involved. So is the very structure of our society. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. We should take nothing for granted. Only an alert and knowledgeable citizen can compel the proper meshing of the huge industrial and military machinery of defense with our peaceful methods and goals, so that security and liberty may prosper together. Hey folks, welcome into Uncensored News. That's probably one of my favorite clips is our warning there about the military-industrial complex. That's why it's part of my intro. Hey, I'm glad to have everyone joining us tonight on Uncensored News. Returning once again is Michael Snyder. You know him from his websites, the theeconomiccollapseblog.com and endoftheamericandream.com, among others. His websites have been featured, uh, his, his stories have been featured on numerous websites. Boy, if I were even to start to list them, uh, I wouldn't even do it justice because I know I would miss quite a few. But I've, I source his information here often. There's a running joke here that when I have a list, uh, you know, Jay has a list. That's that's the big joke. But most of the most of the time, 90% of the time, the lists come from my guest's website tonight. And I'm gonna I'm not gonna run my mouth any longer. I want to bring Michael Snyder on this evening. Michael, how are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm I'm doing great, and it's a real pleasure to be back on with you uh, on the program here. Uh, you know, I'm really glad we can have you back on, especially at such a a time, boy, we've seen a lot of crazy things going on lately uh, since you've joined us last. Oh, oh, we sure have, and everyone is thinking about what just happened in Colorado, and what we saw that that monster James Holmes do uh, in that movie theater in uh, in uh, Aurora, Colorado. And uh, but 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 sadly, um, you know, it's not really an isolated incident. You know, um, one thing that that incident does highlight for all of us is the need for self-defense because society is becoming more unstable, more dangerous. And whether it's, you know, a a movie theater or if it's just walking down the streets of a city like Chicago where, you know, teens are playing what's called the knockout game. And then the idea behind the knockout game is uh, a group of teens will pick out someone on the street and the, the goal of the game is to be the first one to go over and to knock that person out. And so, uh, and the other day, actually, in, in Chicago, um, there was a story in the newspaper about how one group of teens did uh, played that game and, and with a 62-year-old man and actually killed him in the process of trying to knock him out. So we've got our our our... our, our entire society is is starting to crumble and it's it's very frightening because 
you know, a lot of people talk about, well, what is it going to take to fix America? And they talk about the economic system or the political system. But in my opinion, it goes a lot deeper than that. I see that the, the very fabric of society is starting to come out, come apart, and, and that's, that's, a, that's a scary thing, and that's not so easily fixed. No, oh, absolutely. You you uh, did a very uh, good piece. That I believe it come out today on your website that talks about John Holmes. But there's there's these uh, other examples, and these are all recent examples that talk about how the fabric of our society is just degrading. Uh, and, and and to me, one of the a lot of the things, uh, one of the things that you mentioned rather uh, on your uh, in your piece there was the family unit. We've seen that we've seen that being degraded time and time again. There's no there's no importance on the family unit anymore, be it through the promotion of the homosexual agenda, or uh, even even uh, both families working and more more time in school. You know, the state's taking care of our children more and more. There's less and less value placed on the family unit. And I think that's uh, one of the areas we all you know need to look to first for our morals, and then you know uh, to be brought up right and everything. Then of course uh, find a good church. Oh, absolutely. We're seeing all the institutions that kept us grounded, that kept us tied together, they're breaking down. For example, back in 1960, 72% of all U.S. adults of 18 years of age or older were married, 72%. Then you fast forward to today, today only 51% of all American uh, adults that are at least 18 years old are married. So it's dropped from 72 back in 1960 to 51% today, and it's at, at the, the marriage rate in this country is at an all-time low. Meanwhile, the United States has the highest divorce rate in the world by a very wide margin, and the United States also has the highest percentage of one-person households on the entire planet. So we're all very isolated, we're all very lonely, we're separated from one another, our families are breaking down, and this is creating environments where we've got these lone wolf individuals. They don't feel connected to anyone or anything, and then they start to lose it, like we saw with James Holmes, and like we're we're seeing with so many other people. Oh, absolutely! You mentioned uh, Chicago, the knockdown game, things like that. That's not just uh, reserved to those folks there in the Windy City. You know, we the same thing happens here in Detroit. It happens in Cleveland. Happens in Dayton, Ohio, Miami. This is a, this is part of society now. This isn't just uh, isolated to one certain area. This is the way kids are. This is the way kids are. This is how they feel about. This is the value they have on on life. Oh, oh, without a doubt. And we're we're, we're today. Uh, another another key indicator to me is that uh, in the United States today, um, the percentage of Americans that say they have no religion whatsoever is at an all time high. So people, you know, they kind of just do whatever you know feels right to them and often the consequences are uh horrific you know we all saw what happened with jerry sandusky up there at the penn state football program where he was found guilty of 45 counts of sexually abusing young boys but there have been people who've been even worse than him there was a doctor down in delaware who uh it turned out he sexually abused 103 children often while their parents were waiting out outside in the waiting room he would uh, abuse them while he was uh, examining them in his office. Or if you go over to West Virginia, there was a man over in West Virginia, the police say he kept his wife chained up for 10 years and uh, horribly uh, abused her and beat her and, and did horrible things to her. 
So we've, we, you know, we've got all of this um, depravity in society is, is, is being revealed right now, and, and, and it's very frightening. Yeah, you mentioned the the Jerry Sandusky situation, and to me, you know, I take a conspiratorial view on some of these stories. Not that there's any big conspiracy here, because these types of things happen all the time. The the situations being, uh, in my opinion, I, I won't say blown out of proportion, but it's it's one of the main stories in the media because of how heinous it is. But I think it serves a dual purpose, and that's to get this conversation of pedophilia out into you know the public forum because. We know through through the United Nations and their agendas that you know they've already come out and said that that the, the child is a sexual being by nature, and we know they want to normalize this type of deviant behavior. And it goes back to what you were saying about no moral, no church. You know, uh, people have no religion, no faith any longer. Oh, absolutely, and we're a nation that. Uh, produces more pornography than and than all the other countries in the world combined. You know, we 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 uh, you know have normalized uh, sex outside of marriage. You know, we're, we we lead the world in teen pregnancy, and in that type of environment, you never know who is involved in these things. For example, you know, you think if something goes wrong, you think, well, I'll call the police. Well, these days, the police. Uh, have shown that they can't uh, aren't necessarily to be trusted either. For example, you know, a, a police officer up in Milwaukee has been charged with committing rape while on duty. Just last week, a police officer in Houston was committed with uh, uh, raping a woman at, at the scene of a traffic accident. Over in Philadelphia, a police officer was charged with sexually assaulting a 14-year-old girl and then making her watch while he had sex with a prostitute. So, you know, even the police, even the people that we're supposed to trust are involved in these things, you know, and that's just a sign of, of how far the depravity in our society has, has gone. Oh, absolutely. You know, you mentioned one on your uh, piece about uh, homes and the 20 other signs. I mean, this this is just crazy, but I, I had heard about this uh, foot liquor. I didn't hear about the cereal foot liquor. I had heard about the foot, mark, foot liquor there in Walmart, I believe it was somewhere in the south, that had talked to a young girl into uh, removing removing her shoes. She, uh, 18 years old, but still, you know, a young girl. And uh, but this is this is sick, uh, twisted behavior. And then the fact that you brought up about the pornography, I had I had heard about that. And that's still, boy, I tell you, with with the amount of pornography that we create here, and and the amount of aborted aborted babies here, I tell you what, it is. It's just uh, it's sad, sad, sad to see this country go down uh, like this with such poor morals. It really is because growing up. We had this vision of America, you know, this country, and it seems in the last 25 years or so, it has completely been reversed. It's not the Ward Cleaver anymore. It's the, you know, Homer Simpson or, or Married with Children's uh, Al Bundy. Yeah, and, uh, you know, even even people in positions of authority. Another example is uh, the TSA agent down in Florida recently. There was a man named John Gross. He was going through security with a tightly sealed jar that was marked human remains, and the TSA agent looked at it, and, the, and uh, Mr. Gross said, uh, please be careful, those are my grand, grandfather's ashes. But the, the TSA agent didn't seem to care. She picked up the jar, she opened it, and she actually took her finger and dipped it into the ashes and started uh, sifting through the ashes. I, I don't know if she was checking for bombs or guns or whatever, but as she was sifting through this man's grandfather's ashes, she spilled 
the ashes on the floor. And so the man got down on the floor and to, to, to pick up the ashes, and he was picking up bone fragments and trying to get them back in, into the urn. The TSA, the TSA agent actually laughed at him while he was doing that. You know, that's the level of depravity where even people in positions of authority, you know, they, they, they don't seem to care anymore. Oh, absolutely. And we haven't even talked about what's going on there in uh, Southern California, uh, in Oakland, and just the response to the protests as well, uh, to the shooting there. I don't know if you've heard about that. Oh, absolutely. It was absolutely horrible. Uh, most of your listeners have probably seen the video by now. But it was uh, a group of uh, citizens. They were upset about a police shooting that had just happened. They were protesting, and police opened fire on them, not just men. There were women and children in the crowd they, with, with rubber bullets, um, and a police dog was let loose, which uh, stormed over a baby carriage and then was uh, attacking and biting a, a mother while she was holding uh, her, her baby in her arms. It was a horrific scene. Um, but this is the kind of, of, of crackdown we're going to see. You know, people in the future. Um, I, I wrote an article on endoftheamericandream.com the other day about how 55% of all Americans believe that the government is going to take care of them if there's some type of disaster or emergency. And, you know, we've seen that that's not true. After Hurricane Katrina, we saw that, you know, it was a complete disaster zone. They couldn't even get basic food and, and water to the people. Um, you know, and, and but what the government is concerned about after a major disaster is restoring order. And as we've seen at the Occupy protest, as we saw with this incident recently in California, and in so many other examples over the years, the government is going to do use whatever force and violence are necessary in order to restore order. They're not so concerned about taking care of you, but they're very concerned about restoring order and showing who's in charge um, and getting you in line. So, yeah, what we just saw in California, those kind of scenes are going to become even more commonplace, I believe, in the years ahead. Oh, absolutely, especially as the economy starts to unravel. You know, we're going to see more of this type of uh, protests. And just look at what's going on in Spain. I mean, the Greece and Italy, there are people have been protests, legitimate protests there because of the, the dire economic situation that they're in. We're not too far away from that, Michael. As far as the dire economic situation now, the question is, are people going to have the uh, guts to get up and protest, or is the apathy just going to consume them and they're just not going to care? Because it seems to me, and I hate to be so bleak about it, but sometimes people are just too darn apathetic. Oh, it's true. Uh, well, people people are very apathetic because times are still good, even though things have broken down and things are not as good as they were. And, uh, you know, in many ways things continue to get worse. People are still pretty apathetic because we still have a very, very high standard of living, a very inflated standard of living. But when as that disappears, we're going to see rioting and violence, just like, we, you know, so many of the things that we've seen in Greece and now in Spain. That's why I, I tell people, if you want to see where the United States is headed, look at what happened in Greece and continues to happen there, and look at what's happening in, in Spain right, right now. You know, we've seen in, in, both country, in both countries industrial activity plummet like a rock. The economy is contracting. The unemployment rate in both Greece and, and in Spain now as well is above 20% the overall rate of unemployment, and youth unemployment in both countries is over 50%. And so what happens is, 
you know, um, um, there, there's no more money. The banking system's on the on the verge of failure, and the, the the local governments are broke. The national government's broke, and there's cutbacks. There's tax increases. You know, people are losing their jobs. They want answers, and 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 people don't want more austerity. And so, what we've seen in both Greece and Spain is people go to the streets in huge protests. Just last week, on on one day, there were a hundred thousand protesters that took to the streets in uh, Madrid, Spain, the capital there. And and what we're seeing there is also going to, to, to be playing out here in the United States eventually as well. It's just those other countries are, are a little bit ahead of us. Well, you made a good point there about our standard of living. As bad as our economy is, people, they still have got their iPads, their, their newest gadgets and whatnot, and they're able to you know pay for their cable television and, and by whatever means. You know. <laughs> we know that a lot of money is going to places it shouldn't to people who don't deserve it. That's kind of the welfare state that uh, we're in. If you want to talk about the not, not necessarily the welfare state, but the entitlement mentality that that I think a lot of that has to play uh, a lot to play into the dependence on the government and what you had said about the 55 percent of Americans that believe that they're going to come to our, our rescue. Oh, absolutely. You know, we we've been raised in this nanny state where you know people have come to expect that the government is going to take care of us from the cradle to the grave so even during this so-called economic recovery we've seen the number of americans on food stamps since barack obama became president rise from 32 million to 46 million and today you know, a, a, a new all-time high we've got 49 percent of all americans live in a household where at least one person receives some form of uh, benefits from the government. Now, if you go back to 1983, that number was below 30%. So we've gone from below 30% all the way up to 49%, almost a 50% level um, in in just over the last 30 years. So we've got government dependence in the United States today is at an all-time high, um, and uh, and it just keeps keeps getting worse because what you know un- and c- because unfortunately our economy is not producing enough good jobs for everyone anymore you know our, our economy is not enabling you know everyone to take care of themselves um and so many people have been forced to turn to the government because they they don't have anywhere else to go you know and so you know you look around the nation and in particular this is hitting children very hard in the united states today one out of every four american children is on food stamps and if you look in, in the city of Philadelphia, you've got more than 36% of all children living in poverty. Over in Atlanta, more than 40% of all children are living in poverty. Over in Cleveland, more than 52% of all children are living in poverty. And in the city of Detroit, over 53% of all children are living in poverty. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I just find that horrific that, first of all, people are such slaves to you know the just this system it really bothers me how the how those who have the money uh, and and can do things about it do do something about it uh simply don't uh, a recent example or just one of my favorite examples not recent it's a uh, bill gates melinda gates their foundation they're so they're, they're so heavily involved in africa promoting vaccinations and everything and and to me the jury is still out on whether these programs work or not, but the money could definitely be used for food and not just other places around the world. I mean, we throw away more food here in this country than, than anywhere else on the planet that 
things that we throw around, throw away, uh, other people would kill for. And we we take it for granted. And unfortunately, like you, you you talk about a lot of times on your website, those days are coming to an end. Oh, oh, absolutely. You know, and 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 even though things are getting worse here, we're still in far better shape than most of the rest of the world. And and it's important to to realize that. Now, how has that happened? Well, once upon a time, the United States was the the, the uh, wealthiest, most prosperous nation in, in the history of the world, and we had great wealth. But uh, you know, there came a point where, in order to keep up our wealth, we just had to start to borrow. And so, if you go back to 1960, the total amount of debt in the entire country, adding up all types of debt, U.S. government debt and business debt, corporate debt, individual debt, state and local government debt. All forms of debt, it was approximately $2 trillion back in 1960. Today, when you add up all forms of debt, uh, the grand total is rapidly approaching $55 trillion. So we, over the past 50 years, we've gone from $2 trillion of total debt in the United States to nearly $55 trillion of debt. So the amount of debt in this country has gotten 27, more than 27 times larger over the past 50 years. And it's the greatest debt bubble in the history of the world, and it's enabled us to steal from future generations and live a standard of living far, far greater than, uh, than what we deserve or, or, or what we should be. Um, and when that debt bubble bursts, there's going to be a great adjustment um, to the to our standard of living, uh, you know, um, and you know there's going to be you know increasing hunger, increasing hardship all over the country. But you're right, compared to the rest of the world, where in the rest of the world we've got a, 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 about a billion people that uh, don't necessarily know, that are struggling with hunger and don't necessarily know where their next meal is going to come from. We're still way above that, but we're but here in the United States we're going to make a massive adjustment downward. Yeah, you know that's one of the next points I wanted to make. When this, when this financial collapse uh, really spreads and, and hits our shores here, you know, we've got a we've got a really long way to fall. A, a lot of the world is used to living under the conditions that we're about to see here when this finally does go south, and uh, you know we do have a, a long way to fall, and it's going to be a shock for a lot of folks. Uh, that brings uh you know brings up one of the points I want to talk about here is prepping, it's the importance of getting prepared. And and I try to not even use the scare tactics that other folks use, and there's nothing wrong with it. If, uh, I, my thinking is, if you get folks to prepare, you know, however they do it, that's fine. But I'd just like to point to the, the economy of it, you know, the cost of food and everything. If you know it's going up. You know it's going to cost more in the future. Get it now. It's not going to hurt. All you need is a place to store it. You know, you don't have to feed it or water it or anything. But it goes more beyond that. Uh, uh, food, just prepping in general, things are going up. And getting prepared is... Uh, really important, uh, considering you know, 55% of the American public believe that the government is going to be here to help them, and we know that's not true. Oh, absolutely. And right now, uh, the United States is experiencing the worst drought that we have seen in uh, about 50 years. And at this point, uh, more than 1,300 counties throughout the country have been declared to be nat uh, natural disaster areas. And uh, the weather forecasters tell us that uh, that uh, incredibly hot and dry conditions through the middle part of the country are going to persist well into August and possibly longer. 
And so we've, we've, we've got all over the country, we've got corn dying, we've got farmers that are they're losing their crops, we've got ranchers that are being forced to slaughter their, their herds very early because they, they can't feed them or, or because the, the cost of feed is going up dramatically. So, you know, we're, look, we're, we're going to be facing some higher food costs, uh, you know, later in the year. For example, just look at corn. Today, corn is found in approximately 74% of all the products that we buy in the supermarket. So corn influences a, a, a whole lot of things. Um, and so, you know, people need to, people need to get prepared for, for food prices. And people know that, that uh, food has already been going up. You just look at last year. Last year when we didn't have a drought like this, you know, we saw the price of beef go up 10.2%, the price of pork 8.5%, fish went up 7.1%, eggs went up 9.2%, you know, and so on and so forth, much higher than the overall rate of inflation. And so, you know, if that's how fast food was increasing last year, what is it going to look like at the end of this year, you know, especially if this drought continues? Oh, absolutely. If you had a good price, uh, about a uh, good piece, rather, about the price of corn on your website where you pointed to just that, you have the drought, uh, the beef up 10.2%, pork up 8.5%, and these things are going. But when the ranchers sell their cattle this soon and uh, grain and feed is that high, it's going to flood the market. Prices will be uh, stable or low for now, but, boy, wait until next year. Uh, yeah, oh, and absolutely. Sorry. Yeah, indeed. And even, you know, once this drought ends, our problem is still not solved, particularly in the western half of the United States, because what's happening is that we're seeing some of the driest conditions in the western United States that have been seen in the past 500 years. And we're seeing these giant dust storms start to, to, to happen. In fact, just the other day in Phoenix, there was a 2,000-foot-tall dust storm that rolled through Phoenix, Arizona. And what this, what's happening is the western United States, the water is being used up and is becoming very, very dry. You know, it's been estimated that the state of California has about a 20-year supply of fresh water remaining. It's been estimated that New Mexico only has about a 10-year supply of fresh water left. You know, you take a look at the Colorado River. The Colorado River uh, winds uh, 1,450 miles throughout the southwest United States and then down into Mexico. But the Colorado River... It doesn't run all the way to the ocean anymore. Once you get down into Mexico, it's totally dried up. It doesn't run all the way to the ocean like it used to anymore. And then you look at Lake Mead, which is fed by the Colorado River. Uh, the, the scientists tell us that it has a 50% chance of totally drying up by the year 2021. So we're seeing a tremendous amount of, of, of problem with water in the western United States. Or if you look at the middle part of the country, the breadbasket of America, so many farmers irrigate their fields throughout uh, Texas, running up all the way through South Dakota from a, a, a gigantic aquifer uh, called the Ogallala Aquifer, and I probably butchered the pronunciation of that, of that name as I usually do, but it's basically <laughs> this gigantic underground lake which is used for, for irrigation throughout the central part of the country. But the problem is that it, it's running out of water. For example, you go back once upon a time, that, that aquifer had an average depth of about 240 feet. Now, today the average depth of, of that aquifer is just 80 feet, and in many parts of Texas the water is totally gone. 
And right now that aquifer is being drained at a rate of approximately 800 gallons per minute. And once that water is gone, it's gone. And so these are some of the reasons why I say that I believe that we're eventually going to see dust bowl conditions return to much of the central and, and western United States, and, and that's a frightening thing to think about. Oh, it is. You know, that impacts our food supply. Here in Michigan, we've been, we're, we're known for our apples and our cherries, and both of those crops have taken uh, historic hits this, this year because of the real mild uh, early March weather we had. We had temperatures here in the 90s in March. And then a cool back down in April, and now it's just it's just been blazing here, triple digits more this time uh, so far this year, in in years past, and we haven't even hit the hot months yet. We've lost a lot of our apple crop, a lot of our cherry crop, our blueberry crop did okay, but uh, even the strawberry crop here has, has taken a big hit. And I, this isn't just for you know exclusive to this area, you know uh, we're we have a large apple crop and a large cherry crop. I believe the the last the last stats I saw were 80% of the cherries that usually come from Michigan are going to have to be either uh, frozen cherries or imported from somewhere else. And and there's places Washington's having problems uh with their with their cherry crop and Northern California's having situations with theirs. This isn't going to end uh, anytime soon and these prices are just going to keep on going up, Michael. Uh people really need to take uh notice of that. Yeah, and and uh, um, in a recent uh, article I wrote entitled "Why Are So Many Bad Things Happening to America," I detailed a lot of the different things. It's almost like a perfect storm has developed over our country. Or another way you could put it is that this country uh, seems to be cursed at this point. You know, you look at the wildfires that just made headlines out in Colorado you know, that were so terrible. But uh, unfortunately, it's part of a longer-term trend. In fact, the six worst years for wildfires in the United States that have ever been recorded have all happened since the year 2000. So we've got wildfires becoming much worse. We've got tornadoes becoming more frequent and becoming worse. And we saw a tremendous outbreak of tornadoes earlier in the year here in, in the United States. And in fact, if you go back to last year, 2011, it was the worst year for natural disasters in all of U.S. history. So the weather's going crazy. You know, we're seeing unprecedented natural disasters. At the same time, we're, you know, we're coming up to this economic collapse. We were, we're, we're, we've got uh, just about $16 trillion of, of national debt right now. And, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing an increase in crime, you know, in the, in the country. You know, the murder rate in Chicago is up 38% so far this year. So we've got uh, so much going on um, all over the country right now, um, but most Americans are, are, are just they're, they're content just to uh, watch their televisions, the, to be addicted to entertainment, to you know see what the, the, their favorite celebrities are doing. You know they're not paying attention, you know, but uh, really uh, everything around us is screaming that, that something is seriously wrong. Yeah, there is something seriously wrong. Um... Um, this article here that you talked about, why are so many bad things happening to America? One thing that seems to be lost in, in a lot of the mainstream coverage and even the alternative coverage is Fukushima. There have been stories uh, uh, just constantly that I find where the data has been misrepresented or, or misreported and things like that. Uh, the, the radiation that's in the ocean, the radiation that's reaching the West Coast, that's going to have an impact as well. And you mentioned something about 
on your website, you know, that the radiation levels in rain in L.A. were five times uh, above normal. And, our, you know, we depend on our government to, to tell us these things and warn us of these things, and not a peep, nothing is said about this. This is kind of like that one situation that nobody wants to talk about. Oh, absolutely. This is a, a horrible disaster that the media doesn't talk much about anymore. And like you mentioned, uh, one reporter went out and, and measured the radiation levels and rain in, in Los Angeles just a, a little uh, a while ago, and he found it was five times above normal. You know, and, and others have, have, have found very unusual, uh, you know, whether it's in the fish, whether whatever it is, um, you know, something is not right. And then, and then, you know, uh, you just look at what's going right a, a, around Fukushima there in Japan. You know, uh, you go back to the Chernobyl disaster, and uh, after the Chernobyl disaster, less than 2% of all the children living in the region surrounding Chernobyl had, uh, were found to have abnormal growths on their thyroid glands. But now, you know, they tested children living around the nuclear disaster there in, in Japan, and they found that 36% of all children living in, in the, the prefecture there um, have ab now have abnormal growths on their thyroid glands. So something is very, very strange, and it continues to pump out huge amounts of, uh, of uh, radioactive material, and that radioactive material gets up into the atmosphere, and where do the winds carry it? Carry it right across the Pacific Ocean, right toward the United States. So that is something which is not going to be solved anytime soon. It's continuing. It's getting into our food supply, and it's, it's going to affect the health of a lot of people, and a lot of people are never even going to realize what's happening, um, you know, because of what's going on there. So that is, that is uh, something which I'm uh, quite concerned about. Yeah, you know, we should all be concerned about that. And another another thing that kind of kind of silently got swept under the rug was the whole Gulf of Mexico oil disaster. I think that still has a lot to do. I saw commercials the other day. BP is touting that the the Gulf Coast region has had the best tourism in years, and this and that. Of course, we'd expect uh, you know BP to say that, but that situation had did damage to uh, our ocean. As a matter of fact, it, it probably got into. Uh, uh, other parts, uh, you know, probably it probably traveled, and we don't know the effects of that. I, I know that th there's a lot of questions about the, the seafood and things that are coming that are being uh, fished there. Oh, absolutely, and that's a, that's another thing that that has hit our country in in recent years. You know, and then uh, another thing I bring up in my article is uh, the gang violence that we've seen. You know, uh, uh, back in 2009. There were um, uh, about a million gang members living in the United States, and now in 2012, there's about 1.4 million gang members living in, in America, according to the FBI. These are FBI numbers. So just in over three years, the number of gang members in our cities has risen by 40 percent. You know, the, the, the Mexican drug cartels, other gangs, they're taking over many of our communities. And or you look at Chicago. In Chicago today, there are uh, uh, it's estimated that there are a hundred thousand gang members. Now, to deal with that a hundred thousand gang members, the Chicago Police Department has two hundred police officers uh, assigned to the gang enforcement unit. So those two hundred police officers are outnumbered five hundred to one by the gang members. So. You know, just, just so many things in our society are coming apart. They're setting up for some really bad things, um, you know, and, and people need to realize that 
this country is falling apart. We're coming down. Things are not going well, and, and things are rapidly getting worse. Absolutely. I'm waiting for the big pharma companies to come out with a pill to, make, to, to help us deal with this uh, economic situation. Uh, I bet you they're, they're, they're planning on something, Michael. I'm serious, though, uh, kind of, because you bring up this, this uh, anxiety epidemic, and I want to talk about just people's addiction to these uh, big pharmaceutical products, you know, whatever whatever the pill might be. There seems to be a pill for everything, and the side effects, uh, you know, there's side effects. Well, they have a pill for those side effects. Well, that pill has side effects. This is a big moneymaker, and anxiety and depression now of, uh, depression is 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 a real you know it's a real ailment. There are but I, I know those those uh, drugs and that diagnosis gets uh, over uh, overused and abused at times for the benefit of these big pharma companies. But it seems that there's a pill for everything, and there's only two countries in the world that allow direct to customer advertising from the big pharmaceutical companies, and we're one of them. I always I always uh, draw the parallels between. The, the prescription drug use here and the direct advertising, and that's one of our big problems too. Is is uh, everybody's, you know, on these substances, and the side effects are are bad enough, and most and most times uh, they're worse than the ailment they're trying to treat. Oh, absolutely, and and you know what you mentioned in my article, uh, according to a, a World Health Organization study that was just done. Uh, 31% of all Americans, uh, you know, are likely to suffer from an anxiety problem at some point. And uh, according to that study, that was the highest level in the entire world by a good margin. And so we're anxious, we're depressed, and what are we told to do? We're told to pop a pill. And, you know, some Americans turn to alcohol and drugs, and we've got the highest level of illegal drug addiction in the world. But what most people don't also realize is that we've got the highest level of legal drug addiction in the entire world. So, you know, when you're talking about prescription drugs, you know, Americans take more prescription drugs than anyone else does, and it continues to get more and more because the drug companies, they want more profit. And according to the CDC, the percentage of Americans that have taken at least one prescription drug during the last month has risen to almost 50%, and the number of uh, percentage of Americans that have taken at least two prescription drugs within the last month has risen to 31%. So an extremely large uh, uh, percentage of our population um, are on these drugs, and it's, pr it's particularly bad with elderly Americans. You know, the, uh, from those same CDC numbers, uh, the CDC tells us that approximately nine out of every ten Americans that are at least 60 years of age or older have taken at least one prescription drug within the last month. So that's virtually all elderly Americans, 90%, um, which is crazy. And then they're drugging up our kids um, like crazy as well. According to the Wall Street Journal, more than 25% of all kids in the United States are on these drugs. And a lot of these drugs are very, very, have very bad side effects. You know, the, the shooter, uh, James Holmes in, in Aurora, uh, Aurora yeah. Colorado, he was on prescription drugs. And what they're finding out is almost all of these mass murders and mass shooters are, are on, uh, on, on some of these drugs. Oh, yeah, and that's one of those dirty little secrets that the mainstream media either doesn't report on or reports on it real quietly, a quick two-second blurb on the newscast, and it's not spoken of because there's big money in this. Uh, this pharmaceutical business, you've mentioned something about the children, and that kind of ties into your nanny state cradle-to-grave 
uh, thing, you know, the, there's this plan is there's a lot more of these drugs that are being uh, geared towards the younger and younger uh, of our of our uh, uh, children here. Uh, for one instance, they're the the HPV drug. Uh, I forget the name of it, but they're marketing it to boys as young as 12 years old now. That this pharma complex, uh, pharma industrial complex, really has the makings to to be this cradle to grave. Uh, business, but also ties into the healthcare, which is you know big thing that's been passed, and now it's come out that even the cost of that has been uh, the the, the original estimates to that were severely uh, under underreported or, or under uh, figured rather, because I I think it's like three times as much now for the the opening of this uh, Obamacare to get it rolling, the cost of it. So this this has this, this uh, pharmaceutical business has the potential to to be the one thing that affects everyone from cradle to grave cuz especially going after the children they've already got the older folks like you mentioned oh oh absolutely and today you know in the old days if the children were having a behavioral problem you would discipline them or whatever but today if children are not acting right or you know uh, or if they're a little hyper or whatever well the, the doctors just say well pop a pill you know start giving them some pills that'll calm them down and today children in the united states are actually three times more likely to be prescribed antidepressants than children in europe are so you know you just look at you know uh countries that are you know similar to us in many ways in the western world over in europe they don't nearly have the level of 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 uh prescription drugs uh, for children that we have you know but the thing is these prescription drugs have are can be very dangerous according to the cdc approximately 3 quarters of a million people a year are rushed to emergency rooms in the United States because of adverse reactions to prescription drugs and it has been estimated that approximately 200,000 Americans each year are killed by uh, by reactions to prescription drugs so they can't just they just don't have uh, unpleasant side effects they can actually be deadly Absolutely, and we've seen more and more, uh, more and more, where drug companies and other big corporations are are being granted immunity for for lawsuits and dam- limited damages and whatnot. That that just doesn't uh, that just doesn't sit right with me. That's not our government looking out for our best interests. And I should be surprised. I know I am, uh, but I mean I know I should be. But sometimes this stuff just doesn't really surprise me when when things like that come out. I, I saw a story the other day how. Uh, one, I think it was Monsanto was pushing for legislation that would basically give it immunity for for their GM crops and everything else. People aren't eating right, and that brings up another point that you mentioned in that article about uh, the obesity epidemic here. Oh, absolutely. We have got uh, an epidemic of obesity in the United States today, and and most people realize that all you have to do is go out in public and and see. Although we've kind of gotten used to it. But, you know, if you look back 50 years ago, back in 1962, only 13% of all Americans were obese. Now, today, approximately 36% of all Americans are obese. And that's not even counting those who are considered to be overweight. Obese is an entirely an entire category above overweight. So we eat all these foods which are unhealthy, the, the genetically modified food, the high fructose corn syrup, you know, all the sugar they put in everything, all the other garbage that they put into our foods. You know, we don't eat healthy, and we eat 
you know, too much of the unhealthy food. Um, and a lot of these foods, when we eat them, they actually they, uh, are designed to make us want more, to make us hungrier. Um, and so we just we just gobble them down, and, and you know, and the, the end result today is that we're terribly overweight as a nation. In fact, we're the most obese nation out of all the major industrialized nations, um, and, and that just adds to our health problems because then we develop cancer and heart disease and diabetes, and which costs us so much more money in our, out of our health care system. So the consequences just continue to snowball from all of this. Oh, and this obesity epidemic, yeah, it, it is snowballing. This uh, this obesity epidemic and the response to it is, is just a gateway for more government controls. We've seen Mayor Bloomberg there in, in New York wanting to outlaw large sodas and whatnot. Uh, uh, other other uh, things are being talked about, similar uh, similar. Uh, controls with this health, with this health thing, with this obesity thing, and the, and the health care, you tie it all in together. I see, I, you know, I, I see the potential for for the government to not only recommend certain things to eat, but demand it, and with that, maybe even exercise programs. I, I see that in in the future. And when I when I say that, it brings up images of uh, 1984. You know, the book where everybody had to exercise in front of their view screen. They ate what the government gave them. We're getting into that. I mean, this is slowly creeping in, Michael. I, I see it. I see it happening uh, in a generation or two. Oh, a a absolutely. We've got these big brother tactics, which are, you know, it's not just the federal government either. State and local governments, where you know something about the political system in the United States just seems to attract these uh, control freaks who want to control every uh, every little element of our lives, and so. You know, uh, and, uh, you know, one example I like to use is these all over the nation where these code enforcement officers are running around or these nuisance abatement teams are called in California. They run around looking for, for code violations or reason to fine people or, or tear down their structures on their property. You know, there's one 67-year-old man out in California who spent – 40 years transforming his property into a uh, off-the-grid, self-sustaining habitat, and he built up all kinds of wonderful structures and machines, and you know, to, to, so he could be independent of the system. Well, the authorities have come in out there in California, and they said, "Oh, you've got the, uh, all these code violations, so we're going to fine you over $200,000, and you're, you're going to have to be forced to tear down all of these all these structures." And, you know, so it, it, it's just terrible, you know. Um, or if you look, there's an example out in, in Oklahoma where this, this woman, she had built a, a wonderful survival garden in her front yard or backyard. She was growing 100, uh, about 100 different types of plant varieties in, in her yard for eating, and also she was growing herbs and, and different plants to help her with her arthritis and her other illnesses. And, and this is an unemployed woman, so she would depend on these things for her livelihood. Well, the authorities in Tulsa, Oklahoma, came in and said, we don't like this. We, you know, and they actually came in and they ripped out her garden, ripped out all of her plants, took them away, and she was left with nothing. And, and she doesn't have a job. She doesn't have money to go to the store and, and buy all the things that the system tells her that she should buy. She was dependent on what she had built up for her livelihood, but instead they just came in and they just ripped it all out. And, and you know, and and that's what we're seeing all over the country, where where these control freak politicians and government bureaucrats 
want to want to get us back onto the system. They want to tell us how we are supposed to live, um, and it, and it's really disgusting. Yeah, it is. You mentioned that situation there with the garden. We had a situation here in Michigan. I believe it was Oak Park last year or maybe even earlier this year. Boy, I go through so much news, uh, hard for me to keep track of it. But it's a similar situation. She had a garden growing in her front yard instead of uh, plants and shrubs. She wanted to uh, you know, use the, the most space possible. Instead of wasting it on ornamental plants, she decided to, to grow something useful, and they come up and told her that she couldn't. Now, eventually, that did go to... Uh, they They did grant her a waiver on that, but it still speaks to the mentality of these control freaks. I mean, they will stop at nothing, and a lot of this has to do with revenue generation. These municipalities, oh, oh. sorry, they're, they're, I'm sorry. I was just going to say these municipalities are looking for ways uh, to, to replace a lot of that lost tax income. Oh, without a, a doubt, because they're, cause they're broke, you know, all over the country. It's, we don't just have a federal government debt problem. We've got uh, just a multitude of state and local government debt problems all over the country and so they're broke they're looking for ways to make money and one way they're doing it is with uh traffic tickets these days they love to write traffic tickets all over the country we're seeing speed unpre- unprecedented numbers of speed traps and it's not because of a great uh, concern for public safety all of a sudden it's because they're looking at it for ways to ra- to make money to raise revenue and so when you get a ticket these days it's not just 30 or 40 bucks in some areas it's 200 or 300 dollars just for a single traffic ticket and they're doing this to make money and that's why these days i am so i am so watchful even though i live in an area which is more relaxed compared to most of the rest of the country you know i'm still so careful when i'm driving because i know they'll get you even if you're just a couple miles above the speed limit um, and I don't want to. I don't want to contribute more taxes than I already have. So, but we're seeing this all over the country, not only with speed trap it, traps, but with red light cameras and all the rest of it. They want to. They want to raise money because they're broke, basically. Oh, absolutely. One story out of Charlotte, North Carolina, recently, uh, uh, one of the county sheriff's departments there have installed two of their police vehicles, and they plan to do more with, I think, uh, forfeiture money that they've gotten through seizures and whatnot, but they've, they've installed license plate readers on these vehicles to go through, and their plan, it says right in the article from one of their local news stations there, their plan is to drive through town and scan everyone's license plates, and those who, who haven't paid their vehicle taxes, the yearly uh, county vehicle taxes, is going to get a notice slapped on their windshield. These, this type, and I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not even talking about the Big Brother uh, aspect of this technology and, and them using it, just the fact that they're doing this for uh, revenue generation. It this really is what's coming to a lot of places. There, it seems like uh, more and more and more of these fines and fees and taxes are going to be levied against us as they scramble for money. Oh, absolutely. Even uh, a number of years ago, before I moved out of the Washington D.C. area, I, I used to live back there and work in D.C. And while I was still living there a few years ago, um, and it was not that long before we moved, um, I was driving down the highway. We were driving home, and all of a sudden, a and it was very, very heavy traffic. But all of a sudden, a, a police officer uh, pulls out from the side of the road, weaves through traffic right behind me, and pulls me over. And what it, the, the police officer had done is automatically scanned the license plates of everyone going by, 
had identified me as someone that didn't have a, one particular sticker up to date, and uh, you know, then I was the the fish that was going to get caught. And so, you know, I, I ended up getting hit with a, a, a ticket and a fine there. I think that was the last ticket that I've gotten um, since that time. But it just it, that was going in kind of around the D.C. area back then, but now it's spreading to the rest of the country where, you know, they're going to be automatically scanning people's uh, plates and whatever is wrong. If you don't have your insurance up to date, if you have, don't, haven't paid taxes or you don't have a particular sticker up to date or whatever it is, whatever they can get you on, they're going to get you. Oh, absolutely. You know, Michael, uh, we're almost up at the top of the hour. Before I let you go, there's a couple of things I wanted to get your take on. First of all, this LIBOR situation, I wanted to ask you if this is just the tip of the iceberg or if it's a distraction from the bigger problem or neither or maybe a little bit of both. <laughs> well, I, I do think it's a little bit of both because it shows how rigged our financial system actually is the corruption, the collusion, kind of how the, the, it's a, it's a systematic problem. Now you know they've they've nailed the, the, you know this one bank in the UK and, and fined them and everything else, but they couldn't have done it alone. They could not have uh, fixed uh, that uh, LIBOR by themselves. So there's all kinds of criminal investigations about other banks being involved. So to a certain extent, I believe that's the tip of the iceberg in terms of that scandal, you know. But to a certain extent, that there's much greater problems with our financial system and, and much greater corruption, even if, if if they start digging, which they'll find. And so to to a certain extent, the you know there there there's so much more beyond that as well. Oh, absolutely. Uh, one more thing I wanted to touch on here, and uh, well, I'll let you say what's on your mind, but you wrote a really nice piece, I believe it was last week, about the 11 international agreements. And I've, I've reported on, on these when they come out, but to have them in this one spot, Michael, is, is really impressive. It really points to how far and, and how uh, intent other nations are in pulling away from the U.S. dollar. Oh, absolutely, and this is so important for what's going to happen in the future because the, right now the rest of the world needs a massive amount of dollars because the dollar has been used to conduct trade between one country and another. It's been used to buy oil all over the world, but now countries are moving away from that. And I list 11 recent international agreements between China and Russia, China and Japan, and China and Brazil, and so many other India and Japan, et cetera, et cetera. And I encourage people to go and read that on the economiccollapseblog.com, all those agreements. But when the, the U.S. dollar is moved away from, the rest of the world says, well, we don't need all these U.S. dollars anymore. What's that, what is that going to do? The demand for dollars is going to drop. That means they're going to become a lot less valuable. That means we're going to be paying a lot more for oil, for imported goods, for everything else. Once the petrodollar dies, you know, that's going to mean huge problems for the U.S. dollar. It's going to mean much much less purchasing power for us. And since so many things are made overseas today in China and elsewhere, we're going to be able to buy a lot less at the stores. So we're going to see a we're going to see a lot of inflation uh, come about eventually. You know, once the once the petrodollar as it continues to die. So it's not good news. You know, right now 
we've essentially got the, the reserve currency of the world, the United States does, because everyone's using the dollar. But once that goes away, we're going to have a lot less power, a lot less leverage on the global stage, and it's really going to transform the, the global economy, and not in our favor. Let's just put it that way. Oh, absolutely not in our favor. You know, uh, there's nothing good that can come out of these agreements that get us away. I want to speak about inflation here real quick, because you mentioned prices going up in the store and the cost of energy. Conveniently enough, those are two of the main uh, exclusions when they figure out the core uh, inflation index. So as we feel it, you know, the regular consumers on a daily basis, the actual reported numbers don't reflect it. And that that's, a, to me, bothersome because I think we're big enough and old enough to understand what uh, the numbers mean and what they are. But we that goes back to your point about depending upon the government and whatnot. We're being lied to about this inflation. I mean, what what's the inflation? The Fed came out. Uh, it's holding steady around 2%. It's in their core target and this and that. Hey, now where I'm from and, and the stats that you listed on your article, beef going up uh, double digits and things like that, that those those numbers aren't counted, so we're always going to get a rosier picture than uh, what's really going on on the streets, and that just ties into the whole political gamesmanship of this, you know, form of governance that we have. But we're going to see the pinch of inflation before it's reported on, and we don't even have to, you know, you don't have to take my word for it. Just look at how this recovery that we're in is being reported on. We've been in a recovery for what almost four years now, Michael. Uh, oh, uh, gaining traction? <laughs> absolutely. And as we're seeing prices go up, meanwhile, uh, our incomes are not going up. People are losing their jobs, but even the people that still have jobs, they're not seeing raises. They're, in fact, the number of low-income jobs is increasing. And today, one out of every four workers in the United States brings home poverty-level wages. So people are working, but the, a lot of Americans aren't even rising above the poverty level, even with the income they're bringing home. So, you know, we're seeing, um, you know, uh, the standard of living for the middle class is going down, and we're seeing a shrinking middle class as prices go up, but our, our wages are not. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not, it's not going to be a pretty sight. And, you know, I, I say that often, and I often joke I don't want to be, you know, Mr. Doom and Gloom, but, yeah, I don't care. If it gets the information out and it gives people an opportunity to, to look at it and makes them take notice, and that's great. You know, we're doing a good job. And, Michael, uh, before I let you go, I want to give you an opportunity to touch on anything that we didn't touch on yet this evening. Well, I just encourage people to prepare because as bad as things are right now, you know, we're headed for another recession, another major economic downturn in which things are going to get even worse. The unemployment rate is going to go well up into the double digits, much higher than it was during this last recession. And so things are going to be bad. So I'm encouraging people to prepare, store up money. Uh, now uh, at least a six-month emergency fund so people can pay their rent or mortgage and buy food or whatever in case something happens to their job. I encourage people to, to become more independent of the system, learn to grow your own food, um, you know, do things like that. Do whatever you can to prepare because the storm is coming very rapidly. So I encourage people to prepare and I encourage people to, to visit my sites and to, to take the articles there and Spread them on their own websites, spread them on Facebook, on Twitter, wherever they can. Email them out to their friends and family so we can wake people up while, while we still can. You know, it's uh, theeconomiccollapseblog.com, or if you go to Google and type in the economic collapse, it will be the first result that comes up. Or my other uh, major website is endoftheamericandream.com. 
Michael, thank you so much. It seems like this hour just flew by once again. Uh, it's always a pleasure and an honor having you on. Oh, thank you so much. It's a real privilege to be on the show, and it's great to be with your listeners, and hopefully they really uh, enjoyed the uh, information that we uh, got out tonight. Yeah, definitely. Keep an eye on uh, what's going on in the world. If you need more information, guys, check out Michael's websites, theeconomiccollapseblog.com and theamericandream.com. I go there daily. I recommend you do, too. Uh, you'll get, you'll get a, a good heads up on what's really going on in the world. When I get back from the break, I've got some more news that I want to get into, but I want to play the song says Michael spoke of preparation and surviving. Here's one uh, from our buddy Hank. We'll be back in a few minutes, guys. This is Uncensored News.
love to spit some beach nuts in that dude's eyes. I shoot him with my old 45, cause a country boy can survive. Country folks can survive. Cause you can't stop a foul and you can't make a run. Cause when the old boys raise on shotgun. We say grace and we say ma'am. If you ain't in the back, we don't give a damn. We're from North California and South Alabama and little towns all around. Can a buck and run a truck line and a country boy can survive. Country folks can survive. Country boy can survive. Country folks can Out of the simple barter of primitive people, spearheads became one of the first articles used as money. Shells have also served as money. Wampum was used by the American Indians. And hundreds of other articles have been money to various people at various times. But none of these met all the requirements of good money. Money should be something of value. Yet who but a huntsman has any use for spearheads? The value should be obvious and uniform. Who but an expert knows what this fur pelt is worth? Money should be easy to carry about. Metal rods certainly aren't. Money should be divisible. How do you make change when the price is half a cow? Money should be durable. Too much salt money got caught in the rain. Out of such trying experiences, gold and silver emerged as the most durable, most convenient, most satisfactory money. For greater convenience, men started stamping out gold and silver coins with values imprinted on them. Later, governments took over the exclusive function of coining money. Because unscrupulous men began to cover cheap metal discs with gold and silver plating. So, today in the United States, any money is counterfeit and so worthless unless issued by the federal government. And anyone who knowingly tries to spend counterfeit money may be fined a large amount and sent to jail. The coins we use are made in one of the three mints of the United States Treasury, located in San Francisco, Denver, and Philadelphia. And from the Bureau of Engraving and Printing in Washington comes our paper money. This represents the final stage in the evolution of modern money. For while metal coins are handy for dealing in small amounts of money, when transactions require larger amounts, paper money is far more practical. A $5 bill, for example, is much easier to handle than, say, $5 in dimes. And just imagine buying something that costs $100 and paying for it with 10,000 cents. So the values of the money we use every day are the values fixed by the government. The paper bills and even the coins are not in themselves actually worth the amounts they represent. Their face values, however, are guaranteed not only by huge reserves of gold and silver, but by the stability of the government which fixed those values. 
as long as people remain confident that our government is strong and secure, they will continue freely to accept and spend its money without questioning the value. Hey, welcome back to Uncensored News. Uh, I want to thank Michael Snyder from the Economic Collapse blog and End of the American Dream, both dot coms. Uh, that little clip that you heard there was, believe it or not, a 1947 U.S. government movie on talking about know where your money comes from. Boy, how time changed uh, since 1947, i got to tell you. They're pretty on point with that uh, as far as the value of money and how value is given to money. And I want to I wanna segue right into this article since we're talking about money. Um, this is interesting, and this is one of the reasons, one of the main reasons why I picked Mitt Romney to be the Republican presidential candidate over a year ago because of his connection to the banks. And I ran across this article. Romney is to fundraise with these London bankers that Michael spoke of that are implicated in the LIBOR scandal. Uh, I can't make this stuff up even if I wanted to. This is the folks that you Republicans are looking to uh, run the country for four years considering you can get Obama out. And let me remind you folks that are really, really rah-rah and cheering for Romney this is the same Romney that John McCain thought so highly of that he picked, that's right, Sarah Palin over him to be his running mate four years ago. Think about that when you're uh, extolling the virtues of Mitt, uh, Mitt Romney presidency. But to this article real quick, money man Mitt himself is heading to London this week as part of a larger European tour. He's also going to visit Israel and Poland. Israel for the obvious uh, U.S. interests uh, reasons, but Poland, I believe, for a little talk on that missile uh, defense shield that Russia is so up in arms about. But while in London, Money Man is scheduled to attend two campaign fundraisers for uh, U.S. expatriates hosted by bankers and lobbyists who themselves are embroiled in the LIBOR scandal. And if you don't know what the LIBOR scandal is, really quick, that's the LIBOR stands for the London Interbay, Interbank Offered Rate. Some folks will say uh, London Interbank over, Overnight Rate. Basically, it's the banks. That's the rate that banks charge one another to borrow money. And the reason why some folks call it overnight because a lot of that trading is done overnight. But there was collusion among these banks to fix the interest rate. Well, this is uh, blown up into a, a large scandal. Well, Money Man Mitt is whining and dining with these folks. Uh, London-based Barclays paid $450 million in fines earlier this month for manipulating LIBOR. And LIBOR is responsible for determining the price of more than $800 trillion, with a T, trillion dollars worth of financial instruments. So this this, this scandal is it runs deep, and Money Man Mitt is hobnobbing with these same folks who are under investigation. It doesn't surprise me. Ex-CEO of Barclays, uh, Robert Diamond, who resigned on July 3rd over news of this scandal, he dropped out as this Romney fundraiser co-host. 
He even removed his name from the invitations, but the fact remains, this was a Barclays lobbyist event that Romney's going to. These people are beholden to the banks, without a doubt. Money man myth. Excuse me. And because of their attachment to the banks, it led me to make another bold prediction. And I'm I'm sticking to this prediction. All this talk about money man myths, vice presidential candidate, his running mate. uh, I said Tim Pawlenty. And I'm going to hold true. I'm, I'm sticking to it. I'm sticking to it. He's that dark horse that nobody's hardly talking about. But I saw it coming. Same as I saw uh, Mitt Romney being the presidential candidate. The reason why for Tim Pawlenty, similar to the reasons for Money Man Mitt. At the height of the Republican presidential nominating uh, debacle, when we still had, uh, I believe, eight candidates in it, there was a list released that showed who gets more money from the banks out of the Republican candidates? You can probably guess who was last on that list. That's right, Ron Paul. Number one and two on that list, of course, was Money Man Mitt and his vice president pick, Tim Pawlenty. Out of all the Republican candidates, they've received more money from the banks during that uh, presidential Republican inauguration fiasco that we all witnessed for almost two years, and boy, don't even get me started on how long these political seasons are. They seem to just mold, uh, meld rather, from one into another. You know, we've got the November elections coming up, and soon after inauguration day, whichever whoever whichever puppet wins the selection, the talk, the political talk is going to be, boy, we can't wait till the midterm election so we can. Get X done, or get X out of office, or get X out of office, so uh, so we can do uh, 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 Y and Z. That's going to be another two years of political talk, and then after the midterm elections, well, then the, then the political campaigning process starts up again. All this talk about politics and nothing gets done. Nothing gets done because well, we know who they're paid by, the special interest groups, these bankers, the big agricultural companies, the big pharmaceutical companies, the big tobacco companies. A lot of this, you know, I find, uh, speaking of tobacco really quick, I, I find a lot of these laws that are passed, well, well, uh, I believe most of the anti-smoking laws that are passed are in the best interest of the people. But what I don't understand is the constant raising of taxes on these same products that they're looking to prohibit. It seems to me like they're cutting their own throat. Either that or driving up demand for them, you know, kind of like a, a artificial prohibition, I know, similar to how maybe alcohol was, uh, you know, prohibited for a while and it, didn't, it drove up demand. Either way, <laughs> there's a lot of money to be made on cigarettes. So I don't see... More, uh, more interesting bans. We're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna ban these to the point, just up until it starts to cut off their own uh, taxes and revenue from them. I don't want to get into the whole smoking argument. I didn't even mean to go down that path. I was talking about big interests and and who pays our politicians and who they serve. They don't serve you and I. 
Absolutely. I'm not going to go down uh, that rabbit trail. I'm not going to start that rant once again. That's a rant for another day. I do have other news that I, I want to get into, believe it or not. I hinted, uh, we touched on this just a little bit when Michael Snyder was on with me about Obamacare. If you go to Drudge, I believe the story is still there. One in ten employers is already opting out of health insurance. And they're directly saying it's because of Obamacare. Well, the Congressional Budget Office has come out, and it's going to be uh, Obamacare is going to be four billion dollars more more in taxes than originally expected. I'll put that link into the chat room over here. Just further proof that they either don't know or they simply flat out lie to us. And I'll go with the latter rather than the former on that one. Business owners will pay four billion with a B dollars more in taxes under President Obama's Affordable Care Act than the Congressional Budget Office had previously expected. According to the Congressional Budget Office, they said today, according to the updated estimates the amount of deficit reduction from penalty payments and other effects on tax revenues under the Affordable Care Act will be $5 billion more than previously estimated. The change primarily affects a $4 billion increase in collections from such payments by employers, a $1 billion increase in such payments by individuals, and an increase of less than $500 million in tax revenues stemming from a small reduction in, in employment-based coverage, which the Congressional, uh, Congressional Budget Office claims will lead to a larger share of total compensation, taking the form of taxable wages and salaries, and a smaller share taking the form of non-taxable health benefits. Basically, uh, in short, they revised the Obamacare tax burden upward by $4 billion with a B, for businesses and one to one and a half billion dollars with a B for individual workers. Is it no wonder so many employers are either trimming their payroll down to under 50 employees to where they don't have to comply with this law or they're simply not going to have it. This article, nearly one in ten employers is going to drop health care coverage. I thought this is health care for all folks. It's not like I said before. If this bill, this Affordable Care Act, was about health care, it wouldn't it wouldn't mandate health insurance. It would mandate health care. It's a big difference. I'll put the link into the chat room. I'll get into this article real quick. Cause there's some other stuff I got to get into. But if I don't, hey, I know the boss. I don't think I'll get fired. About one in ten employers plan to drop their health care coverage when key provisions of the Affordable Care Act kick in in less than two years. And that's a, a survey released today from the company Deloitte. 9% of those companies said that they expect to stop offering coverage to their workers in the next one to three years. About 81% said that they'll continue providing health care benefits, and 10% said they weren't sure. This is all reported in the Wall Street Journal. Companies, though, did say that a lot depends on how future provisions of law unfold, since most of the key parts are scheduled to take effect in 2014. One, of, one in three respondents 
said they could stop offering coverage if the law requires them to provide more generous benefits than they do now. If a tax on high-cost plan takes effect in, in 2018 as scheduled, or if they decide it will be cheaper for them to pay the penalty for not providing insurance. Small businesses don't face fines for failing to offer coverage. Uh, those with 50 or more full-time employees face a penalty starting at $2,000 per worker. So if this was good for all, if this, if this system, this, if this scheme, this scam was good for all, why are companies opting to pay the fine rather than comply with it? It's a big scam, folks. It's all it is. It's a help to the to the uh, uh, insurance providers. That's it. That's all it is. That's all it is, and this this just goes into cradle to grade uh, coverage for the nanny state for you. All right, let me get into some other news. As my throat's really starting to dry up tonight, let me have a sip of this coffee here. I haven't done this on the air for a while. I'll take a slurp of this coffee. Ah, that's good stuff, boy. I tell you, I can't tell you how many times a a coffee has kept me from seriously hurting someone. <laughs> I see that Mitt Romney came out with some uh, notes about his foreign policy. Um, same, much of the same from the current administration and throw in a more neocon slant and you can see where Mitt Romney's foreign policy is heading. More war, more uh, government controls. One thing I wanted to talk about and I'm going to tie it in a little bit only because I'm smart aleck. But I want to tie this into this sudden uh, and recurring, this resurgence of the coverage of crimes committed with a gun. Of course, recently the Colorado situation, and not to make light of that situation at all, because I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that, but there's a lot of talk of more gun controls. More gun controls, you know. Twelve people got murdered, and it's tragic, without a doubt. My, I've I've made my uh, opinions well known on this uh, from Sunday's show. If you didn't hear it, go back and check it out. But I'm I'm of the opinion that if there was one person in there who was armed and knew how to use a uh, a weapon defensively, the situation wouldn't got out of control. And that's not even talking about the possibilities. Uh, or the suspicions that everybody has about it maybe being staged and whatnot. I'm not even going there. Everybody wants to talk about banning guns, doing something with a gun ban, more gun controls. Hey, what about knife controls? What about screwdriver controls? What about pen and pencil controls? Keys to your car. Sand. All of these things can be used as weapons. See, criminals and idiots are gonna are, are gonna get their weapons and they're gonna do their bad things no matter what. This is just more control. Well, why don't we ban automobiles, too, then? May as well ban automobiles. There's no constitutional right for you to have an automobile, so let's ban them. U.S. traffic traffic deaths jumped in the first quarter of this year 13.5%. Let's just ban vehicles. 7,630 people died just in the first three months of this year in, in, in traffic accidents no constitutional right for vehicles. Let's ban those instead. 
So I get really upset when tragic situations like this get politicized. Folks couldn't wait to jump on this. They could not wait. And the timing of it is suspicious to me. And I'm talking about the Colorado shooter incident. The timing is real suspicious. The U.N. Small Arms Trade Treaty is coming up. Hillary's expected to sign it. Last word is, or a few votes away from ratifying it in the Senate, Obama will sign it. You see, I know that's a strange parallel to try and draw with auto accidents and somebody pulling the trigger. But if the concern is about death, then we'll, we'll put this in those terms. The concern is about people dying. We'll put them in those terms. But it's not. The concern is about more controls. More controls. You see, the one thing that has been stopping this, these globalists from taking over this country quicker, they're scared to death of our Second Amendment. And they're scared to death that people hold that near and dear to their hearts. You you talk about our freedoms, and, and you ask folks what are most important to them. Freedom of speech, uh, our right to bear arms, and, and the Fourth Amendment, the right to go move about freely without undue searches and seizures, to be secure in our person, places, and things. Those are the three things that a lot of folks talk about, our our, our First Amendment, Second Amendment, or Fourth Amendment. And slowly, these elitists, these global elitists, want to erode this. And they're starting in on firearms. And this is what bothers me the most. This is what really has me worried. Because if they are uh, successful in getting the conversation going towards more arms controls, the road leads to restrictions on our Second Amendment, more than there already are. Once that happens, the law-abiding folks won't be able to defend themselves against crazy nutjobs down the road who are trying to invade their home and steal what they got, or a tyrannical government. And that's exactly how this globalist uh, system is going to take over. Once our Second Amendment rights are gone, there's nothing to stop them from stepping on the gas and implementing this, uh, you know, even quicker. So this is one of the main issues that I focus on. It's our right to bear arms. Just because I don't get out here and talk about weapons and firearms all the time, um, let me make it absolutely clear if you didn't already know I'm 100% pro Second Amendment in fact I've often joked that my solution to the problems in this country would be to give every other idiot a firearm go put them somewhere and let them take care of their own problems natural selection I know that's harsh that's mean you don't have to use a gun <laughs> like I said people are stupid Oh boy, I didn't. That, you know that didn't really. Uh, I really didn't plan on going down that road with with firearms, but 
There's been so much talk about it, and folks were just so ready to jump on it. They're still hyping this darn story up about this uh, Colorado shooter. Even even today on the news, that's all I saw was one of the lead stories. I mean, let it go already. But they won't. The mainstream media won't because it ties into this agenda. They've been pushing for gun control all along. When you've got a Democrat in office, they're open about it. When you've got a Republican in office, they try to do it on the sly. Make no mistake about it. The agenda's the agenda. All right. It's about 8.30 here Eastern Time. I'm going to have to take a real quick break because my voice is just about shot. So let's see if i got another song here that I haven't played in a while. And no, Dr. OB, it will not be rap. I'll save that for the end of the show. Oh, let's see what we got here. Something I haven't played in a long time. How about the sweet tune, the sweet sounds of uh, Ava Aston? Check her out, avaaston.com, A-V as in victory, A, Ava Aston, A-S-T-O-N.com. We'll be back in a few minutes once I regain my voice. <laughs>
Folks, hey, I'm back. Uncensored News here for the last segment of the show. That was the lovely and talented Ava Aston. You guys can find her out, uh, find out about her, rather, at AvaAston.com, A-V-A-A-S-T-O-N.com. Ah, love that voice. Love that song. Uh, let me get into some other news here. I want to try to fly through some stuff. One thing that I saw today, and I wanted to pass it along to you, a lot of talk has been lately, last year or so, about cybersecurity. Cybersecurity, you know, they want more controls over Internet. And, well, a lot of things are happening on that front. I talked about CEPA uh, the other day, CEPA, the European agreement that they're trying to push through. And, well, now, the Senate is going to consider a long-delayed cybersecurity bill. They won't do anything about the economy. They're not going to do anything before uh, the recess or anything, but they're considering this. Senior U.S. lawmakers are saying that the Senate's going to take up legislation later this week to protect critical U.S. industries and other corporate networks from cyber attacks and electronic espionage. Uh, Senator Joe Lieben, Lieberman, rather, that independent, allegedly, from Connecticut, and other co-sponsors of the long-delayed bill said today that a series of changes they made to the legislation would have won enough Republican support to get it on the floor for consideration. You see, those small victories we had over SOPA, PIPA, ACTA, and now CETA don't mean a darn thing, because the, the agenda is the agenda. They're still going on with it. The provisions that uh, the Republicans opposed were regulatory provisions, they would have required companies operating electric power plants, water supply facilities, financial institutions, and other essential businesses to meet cybersecurity standards set by the Homeland Security Department. The new version of the bill instead offers incentives, such as liability protection, to businesses that voluntarily participate in the cybersecurity program. 
more ways to get at our internet connections, folks. It, it, this is part of the agenda. This is a monster that Al Gore created. I doubt it, uh, but he claims this is a monster that he created that they can't control yet. And I say that yet because they're looking at many ways to control it and keep an eye out for this. And I've been speaking about these Olympics uh, opening ceremonies and just how everyone's attention is focused on the Olympic opening uh, ceremonies coming up here. There's been a lot of talk uh, in the alternative media, conspiracy websites, uh, and places like that, that maybe there's going to be some kind of oh, situation, event, terror event, uh, you know, something happening at these Olympics. And I hope and pray not. But I ran across some inter- some something on the heels of that that kind of just made me raise an eyebrow here this morning. Those those opening ceremonies for the Olympics, which uh, are, co- are are the Olympics here in the states, are covered by NBC and their group of families, uh, uh, the group of stations rather, the family of networks. Everything is going to be live. Every single uh, event. Every single uh, metal event, or everything is going to be live. Well, almost everything. The opening ceremonies are going to be taped delayed. And I just find that interesting. <laughs> I just I find that interesting because of the talk about something possibly happening with these uh, Olympic Games. I just find it really interesting that they are on tape delay, and they say they want to... The reason for NBC wanting to tape delay these games this time around, these uh, opening ceremonies, and the closing ceremonies, by the way, is so they can show it in prime time on both the East Coast and the West Coast. So there's going to be maximum amount of... uh, maximum eyes... Uh, or at least reaching the maximum potential uh, of viewership. I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail of, you know, something going to happen. I just found it quite interesting that out of everything that they could tape delay, this is, uh, or everything that they're covering live, this is the only thing that the only two things that they're not covering live. So keep an eye out of, you know, keep an ear out on the on, on other things that are going on be it the signing of this uh, small arms trade treaty or our Congress working wink-wink overtime while these uh, uh, opening ceremonies are being tape-delayed in prime time. Well, everybody's uh, attention is focused on that. We've got to keep an eye on what's going on. I've been saying that all along. These games, these uh, ceremonies, are, are a good distraction. Back in 2010, with the Winter Olympic Games, I believe that was the big, the big surge into Afghanistan that Obama was all for and behind. Uh, earlier than that, in 2008, uh, during uh, the Olympic cere- opening ceremonies, something happened. Uh, I forget what it is right now. My buddy, our buddy Kerry Corn, the conspiracy theorist, reminded me of it the other day. But for the life of me, I just can't remember. So I got to go through some other news here. In case you missed it, Germany's banks uh, have 
Germany's debt worthiness has has been downgraded. We spoke a little bit about the the euro problems and the economic crisis taking place over there. Well, Moody's has cut its uh, outlook on Germany. Uh, they are now in negative, from stable to negative. Situation there isn't going away anytime soon. Anytime soon, and just on the heels of that, there's a scandal now within the IMF. This this governing body that's supposed to take care of all these problems. They're just as corrupt, if not more corrupt. I'm one of these folks who like to cover technology and more intrusive, these ever-increasing, more intrusive ways that they use technology. A lot has been taught, a lot has been uh, spoken of about minority report type of uh, software. Those things are coming down the pipe, guys. They're already talking about predictive uh, programming. They've made uh, arrests in London quietly. If you, if you don't follow what goes on in London, you wouldn't know. But they've been arresting people ahead of the games just because they might cause a problem. That's pre-crime. If, even if you're sus- a suspe- a suspected rather uh, of, of maybe possibly doing something, you get arrested because you might cause a problem. Expect those things to happen uh, ahead of the Republican National Convention and maybe even uh, the Democrat Convention. These are all becoming commonplace police state tactics. It's to squash dissent. We already have free speech zones. I'm sorry, last time I think this whole country was a free speech zone. We've already got laws that tell us that we can be thrown in jail for 10 years if we're protesting or causing a disruption where uh, any government official, federal government official is at. So this is supposed to be a free country, huh? Uh, one article here, boy, I'm looking at the clock. I don't know if I'm going to have a an opportunity to, to get through all of this. I'm going to try really quick here. Cause it talks about predictive programming, predictive software. A study published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences called Point Process Modeling of the Afghan War Diary says that data supplied by WikiLeaks can accurately predict where terrorist or insurgent attacks will happen. This is from DARPA. This all goes in with DARPA's Integrated Crisis Early Warning System. The researchers at Edinburgh University analyzed data uploaded onto WikiLeaks over two years ago, where 77,000 military documents were dated between 04 and 09, were more telling than originally assumed. They used mathematical algorithms from statistical data, signal processes, and ecology, as well as utilizing specific software that's designed to identify trends in massive amounts of information according to the software. In Bagland, Afghanistan, violence would rise from uh, 100 to two, in 2009 to 228. In 2010, the, the actual count was 222, which is pretty close to their prediction. So it gives you an idea of how good this uh, technology is. Like I said, this is part of DARPA's integrated crisis uh, uh, early warning system. That's a predictive allocated tool. Those are one of these things that they use 
to look for more uh, technology, more things to do on us, more things to spy on us. DARPA's behind it. That's the uh, defense uh, research projects. Uh, I believe is the I forget what it's uh, the, the what DARPA stands for. But it has to do with uh, defense and, and research. But a lot of the new technology that we get, the majority of it starts with DARPA or other government agencies, NASA, you know, things like that. Anything that we've got is, is pretty much second or third or fourth hand uh, as far as as far as the technology that the government has and the government that uh, the technology that they're working on and developing and, and it might even be suppressed. But that's a story for another show. There's a couple more things I wanted to get into before I let you folks go this evening. One of them is uh, this article I ran across real quick about the United Nations. The United Nations Commission is calling for the legalization of prostitution worldwide. Worldwide prostitution, according to the UN. This was a report that was issued by their Global Commission on HIV and the law. It recommends that nations around the world get rid of punitive laws against prostitution, or they have a nice little name, fancy name for it, consensual sex work. And they also want to decriminalize the voluntary use of illegal injection drugs in order to combat the HIV uh, epidemic. It sounds to me like they want to help that HIV epidemic along. But that's the good old United Nations. That's what our government's signing on to. Uh, that's, that's why we're harmonizing our laws with those of not only the United uh, Canada and Mexico, but uh, all around the world. That's globalism. This is globalism working right here in action. When these things get adopted and enacted, that's globalism in action. When Michael Snyder and I talked about earlier, municipalities going around and fining people for growing their own food, for having a garden, that's Agenda 21. That's globalization in action. So don't tell me there's no push for globalization, or even Obama said he's a citizen of the world. More and more of these stories about the United Nations are going to come, come out. There's going to be more and more open talk in mainstream media circles about the United Nations and these other globalist institutions. They have to legitimize, legitimize them. They have to get us used to them. By them talking about them, it gives them power. It legitimizes them. By President Obama being the first sitting president to head the United Nations Security Council, it gave it uh, its legitimacy. It validated it. Folks are looking to the UN now, the uninformed sheeple especially, because they believe they're part of a global community. Being part of a global community nowadays so, uh, uh, takes more precedent are uh, more important than, than being part of your country. Used to be national pride, not anymore. 
stuff is happening at blistering, blinding pace. And a lot of folks don't pay attention to it because it happens, although it happens quick, it happens quiet. Not a peep from the mainstream media. Nobody questions why we should allow these agreements. Nobody questions if these treaties are going to hurt our sovereignty and, and by extension in the future, our very own, our very way of life here on this, in this country. Nobody questions that. Nobody brings up those questions. Seems like uh, we, the, the big, the big push is, uh, you know, we may as well just give in to this globalist uh, agenda. We may as well just all join hands and sing kumbaya. That's how they're going to sell this idea of globalism, this and, and new world order, whatever you want to call it. I don't care. Call it whatever you want. Call, call, call it the, the Skittles unicorn happy dance. Doesn't matter to me what you call it. So what's going to happen out of it? So you're going to have 200 plus nations all ruled by one governing body. National sovereignty out the window. You're going to have to comply with the laws and the regulations of the governing body. It's looking like it's going to be the United Nations. And the military arm of that is looking to be NATO, just the way Alex Jones and others talked about for years. Oh, I know, I can't bring up Alex Jones because, oh, he's a nut job, right? Eh, he's, he, oh, he sometimes uh, over-sensationalizes stories. I've often accused him of that. I've often said he, sometimes he's self-serving. But I don't say that to take away from the information he passes along. If you don't like the way he presents it, get the information for yourself. Do your research. No matter what you call this system that's slowly taken over here, from the total control of our economy through this this uh, banking crisis, because out of this is going to come more control. And that plays right into these globalist hands. Whatever comes out of this, this push towards globalism, whatever comes out of it, in the end, you and I, the ones who hold our Constitution near and dear, the ones who still want to believe in, in the fundamentals of our founding fathers, we're the ones that are going to get hurt the most out of it. Because we've got the most to lose. And with that being said, with with us, we've got the most to lose. We should be the most vocal. We should be the ones screaming from the tops of our lungs that these agreements are going on instead of allowing uh, articles and stories to be, to and, and even presenters of information to be marginalized, to be called kooks and nutjobs and quacks. just so happens that us in the alternative media know the game plan, know the agenda, watch the news, do our research, you can see what's coming a lot before, a lot longer before the, the, the puppets in the mainstream media are told to report on it, if at all. So when we tell you that we're in a police state right now, that the police state isn't coming, the police state is slowly creeping in, you better believe it. And if you don't, we've got proof. We'll point you to evidence. When we tell you there's a global economic takeover coming, it's underway right now. You've got to believe it. Because there's proof. Just because you're not getting it in the mainstream media doesn't make it uh, any less true. 
And then you've got to ask yourself, why are there's only six corporations, six conglomerates that cover, uh, that, that control rather over 93% of uh, all, all of the, the world's media, the world's media. I had the, I had the list. It was uh, NBC, Universal, CBS Group, uh, Disney, Clear Channel. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Uh, there was uh, Fox, uh, Rupert's uh, uh, News Corp. And I forget, I forget the others, but you've got to ask yourself, why? Why all these corporations control so much uh, uh, information? Why are they allowed to? And then you've got to ask the question uh, and, and, and answer it honestly. Do you think you're getting honest coverage of what's going on? Or are you getting a slanted agenda? A lot of folks are going to tell you, they don't trust what comes out of the mainstream media. But yet, they'll go running to them. They'll go running to them. They're one of the first ones that will quote something in the mainstream media as being true. So what's it going to take to wake the sheeple up in this country? Uh, unfortunately, and I believe Michael Snyder and myself are in agreement on this, People have to, there's a lot more that people have to lose before the apathy wears off, before the laziness wears off. Hopefully, hopefully, and I pray that at that point, it's not too late. I think this election is going to be a, if it's a close election, we might see some situations arise where uh, we'll have civil unrest. Hopefully that, if it happens, and I hope it doesn't, it doesn't, but if it does, hopefully that'll wake people up. It'll get people motivated, get people moving, get people off their lazy arses. Wow, I just looked at the clock and I'm just about out of time. I want to thank you all for joining me this evening, man. It was a really good show, uh, man, uh, gals, ladies, gents, family, friends, whoever. It was a really good show. It's always a pleasure to have Michael Snyder on from the Economic Collapse blog and End of the American Dream, uh, two of my favorite websites. I go to them often, and I'm going to try to have him on once again in about a month here, and we'll get into some more of the news because, boy, there's never a shortage of things to talk about when Michael's on. He covers so much on his websites. We cover so much here that I could have easily ran for two hours with the guy. So anyway, that's it for this edition of Uncensored News. I'll be back Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, for another two hours of the news that the mainstream media simply does not want you to hear about. Wake up, folks. We are slaves. We are on a world plantation. These global elitists are the slave masters. See you next time. God bless you all. You may be walking around thinking you're free and you have rights, but the bottom line is that you are owned, you're a chattel, you're a slave, and these people own you, and that's why they can do things to you against your will. You comply. It feels like World War Three is going on inside me. This love hate thing is really tearing me up. See, I can't take it. I feel like I'm going to break what I know deep down. That's a big mistake. Life ain't a box of chocolates, it sure ain't cake. Hate looking at you sleep when I'm wide awake. You say you love me, but I feel 
like it's fake. Should've listened to my mom back then. She said, wait, no respect for the man in the house. I'm gonna take it. Demon on the side of my neck, I can't shake it. All built up with rage and real hatred. Tired of seeing you walk around stuck in the matrix. Call out your name sometimes. You don't know headphones and your hands on strap and Facebook. Getting played in a game like Paul's and Rope. You better wake up soon before your whole world show. The pain hits like a wood splinter, ice cold heart. I feel like a mid midwinter. Pray to God, He never let the demons enter. Trying to play nice and live right, it's in God's hands. Thought I was walking, it's His whispers in the sand. Gonna change my life and do what God commands. Hope for the whole world, cause it's in God's plan. Time to wake up to real truth and open your eyes to the fact that the life that we live is a lie. We've been trained since birth and never questioned why. To manipulate see the old day y'all die. Suppress information, dumb down education. Dependent human livestock make up the nation. Plan is to make a one world plantation. That is a dilemma that we all are facing. Your people just don't want to change Then you love with the things in this world And being in it Like swimming in an in-ground pool And peeing in it They walk with closed eyes There's no rearranging Cause learning the truth Can really be life-changing It disrupts the everyday mundane routine And clearly In plain sight Know what I mean Open up your eyes To the true reality We've been slaves Since the day we were born No way to flee Perception of freedom Cause we're not free It's a prison of the mind That we cannot see Legal terms that block your mind So confusing It's a mind control game, and man, they winning. It all started out way back in the beginning. 